0: well good evening ladies and gentlemen this is the truckers podcast i'm your host doug from ontario canada it is the 6th of september 2022 at 8 p.m can we end homelessness come on the show and let's just talk about it Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining me this evening, Tuesday, the 6th of September. Oh, yeah, you know what? All schools all across the country will be back in class tomorrow. Some schools um, um, started today. Um, Kazakh schools, French immersion schools, public schools in Ontario start tomorrow. So kids should be really happy about getting back to class. So thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. Long weekend. The final is like, that's it. This, uh, you know, the last weekend of summer holidays is just yesterday was it It all wrapped up you know so back to school um lots of you know lots of challenges um for parents out there you know um especially when it comes to um, getting the school supplies and and the cost the cost of everything with the cost going up and you know people you know not buying as much as they did you know just right now just getting the basics you know new shoes and and clothes and doing whatever they can um, there is lots of uh, people out there that uh, raised money and uh, bought all these like all these knapsacks and school supplies for where people were able to go and and um, get those things that they need for their kids, you know, making it, you know it's hard to make ends meet um, for a lot of for a lot of families out there. Um, I also want to make a a, a correction um, from yesterday's podcast. Um, I talked about this horrific. Killing Rampage, and I said it was Alberta, Canada, but it was Saskatchewan, Canada, up in the uh, the northern part of Saskatchewan. Ten people stabbed to death, 19 injured, 13 different crime scenes. One of the perpetrators involved in this killing spree is deceased, and they believe that his brother had killed him as well. The search still goes on for the one remaining suspect in Saskatchewan, and has also been. Um, you know, put a alert out to uh, Manitoba and Alberta. And just asking people to be vigilant, asking people, you know, keep your eyes open. If you, you spot this individual or you know his whereabouts, you call the police. I we'll just wanted to make that correction because I originally said it was Alberta, but it was not Alberta. It is Saskatchewan in the northern part of Saskatchewan, and my heartfelt condolences goes out to the families. You know, tragic, tragic, uh, it's just. You just can't comprehend this this sort of violence, this senseless violence, you know. So anyways, I wanted to make that correction. So yeah, you know, with people like, you know, kids going back to school, how tough it is for parents out there um, to get the necessities that their kids to go back to school. And we're hoping it's going to be a full school year, is what we're hoping for. You know, we, you know, coming into the fall, we come into the cold and flu season. On top of that, we still have COVID. Here across Canada, you know, we're dealing with a health uh, care crisis. And we want to make sure, you know, people, you know, are staying safe. And, you know, we don't want to, um, at any point in this school year, we don't want to have to close schools. We don't want a setback. We don't want any of that. Now, yesterday, too, is you know, those was you know, touching base on, um, homelessness, um, in Canada. And I got through little bits and pieces of it. And I, you know, someone called in and he was talking about other stuff and that's okay. You know, I don't mind, you know, going off beat a little bit, you know, every now and again that happens and stuff like that. It's, it's podcasting and, in you know, as long as, you know, people are, are, are being polite, and not being rude and stuff like that, you know, you have something to say, then you want to talk about something that's fine. So, of course, you know, I, I, like, you know, so on top of, uh, you know, the cold and the flu season coming up, the uh, the healthcare crisis. We also have a homelessness crisis in Canada. And finding solutions and prevention and accommodations is really quite challenging. And how did we allow it to get this bad? You know, I was watching, you know, the news just, you know, like last week and, you know, talking about particularly uh, Vancouver, British Columbia on the West Coast, the Lower East Side, which is just prominent with, um, drug addiction, um, homelessness. And they basically, you know, they have have this tent city right on the sidewalks, right in front of merchants. And it got so bad that they had to start clearing them out. And where do the homeless go? They have nowhere to go. But it became a real safety concern for them. And a real safety concern for the businesses down there because, you know, blocking fire hydrants and everything else like that, it became a real issue. You know, and it became an issue for emergency personnel. You know, it was it was just it. it kind of reminds me, you know, um, being a trucker, and uh, this is going back a few years, and and we were in Los Angeles, and we actually did drive by what what they refer to as Skid Row. Now I don't even even like using that term, but that's what they call it is skid row and you, and you see it on television, but then when you see it in person and I've seen it on, on our city streets, I, I see it, uh, you know, in the big major metropolitan areas like the city of Toronto, but not as bad. As it is in Vancouver, B.C., but it's bad. It's a crisis. We can end homeless in Canada if we want. You know, back in the late seventies and going in the eighties, they, they they had this huge Buildup up of, of housing is like London housing affordable units geared to income if you were if you were on uh, disability or uh, you're on welfare or whatever the case may be a low-paying job you know, all these housing units were built. And then after, like, 1980, they stopped. People who are waiting for a place that they can afford, like in housing, there's something like a six to seven year wait. That's how big that waiting list is. The people who... Who are really in need of it, like in like in in emergency situations, like people who are leaving a a domestic violence, well, they're going to get first before other people who have been waiting for five years. Housing solves homelessness. So Canada and like, you know, the United States and, and, you know, parts of Europe and and places like that, you know, come up with a a 10-year plan. Should have started 10 years ago. Well, but maybe it wasn't a crisis. You know we have shelters for people to go to there's supports out there for people to to channel through food kitchens to go to so it it, it was really more like okay you know these agencies you know they're they're, they're taking care of the homeless and you know not have to worry about nothing else and stuff like that and well lo and behold It's gotten worse. It's it's so bad that they're calling it a crisis. It's a simple answer to a complex problem. Housing solves homelessness. And all the questions still remain, how do we get someone into housing? And what kind of supports are needed? Everybody's situation is different. And how do we engage newly housed people in a meaningful activities? What issues do people from Pacific populations face? Accommodations. So we start with a with, with accommodations. So we need housing. The appropriate accommodations and supports can help stabilize individuals and families to get them out of shelters and off the streets. Affordable housing. We are starting to build some affordable housing. And there are things, the, the buildings that they have have, have built and, and are, are starting to build. There is a area in, in the city of London, Ontario, where I reside, um, where the old Victoria Hospital, hospital used to be. Um, there's affordable units, um, going up there, but I mean, it takes time to build these things. They just don't go up overnight. And it's not just affordable housing, it's transitional housing. And permanent supportive housing. know they come up with this, this. This model, and in other places around the world, have uh, uh, adopted it too. Is 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 housing first? Now, I mean, people out there, you know, they have their own ideas of why, you know, people. Be homeless. Some suggest that they're just lazy. <clears throat> they chose to be homeless. Well, they just woke up one day and thought, eh, I don't need a roof over my head. I don't need a roof over my head anymore. I, I want to be homeless now. They don't want a job. Oh, they're just alcoholics and and drug users. People point their fingers wherever you want to put your fingers. Mental health illness. It's not... Just people who, you know, people who with with drug addictions and and mental health issues are homeless. Teenagers. Young and older working adults who can't afford the rents. They're couch surfing. These are the ones that you don't see. These are the invisible homeless people, people who were staying with family and friends, people who are couch surfing, people who are living out of their cars. The homeless people that you see are the ones that are, who are you see them coming in and out of the shelters, you see them on the on the street corners, panhandling for money. You see those people that you you look at them and, and they're not clean. They have mental health issues. They have addictions. These are the people. These are the homeless that you see. You know... A great deal of response to homelessness has has focused on emergency services. It's important that we also focus on both prevention and accommodation supports. Where do we get this from? They take this housing first approach, and then we have to look at what kind of supports do they need. People are going to need, need different things. Everybody's not going to need the same. You know, when, when it comes to people being released from being incarcerated, being sent to a halfway house, and then eventually sent into the community, People being discharged from the hospital. And our veterans as well. I mean, people tend to forget about those individuals who served in our military. Post-traumatic stress disorder. They end up with an addiction. They end up homeless. Now, talk about you know, ending, ending it or even how we're going to get this. You know, how about prevention? Shouldn't prevention be the first model of how they we have to figure out how we can prevent it? Stopping people from becoming homeless in the first place. You know, mass homelessness emerged in the mid-80s. We have largely used emergency service to respond to people's immediate needs. While we'll always need emergency service to help those in crisis, for sure. And over time, these short-term responses have become the standard method of managing homelessness long-term. Oh, we treat them. It's hospital treatment, they get sent back out. You know, there's the men's mission, there's a shelter there, there's a place where you can get something to eat, and that's it. In the last decade here in Canada, policies and practices have begun to shift from managing homelessness to finding solutions, in particular, the expansion of housing first approach across the country. It's the housing first model. And the supports for people experiencing chronic homelessness. With no housing readiness requirements. So, you know, we know, we've, we've propelled our, our thinking into make the goal of ending homelessness realistic. However, we are still missing one important piece. Preventing homeless in the first place. Hey, we can give you money. We can give you your disability. We can give you your welfare checks. You, uh, like, listen, when I started working when I was 18 years old, minimum wage was $6 an hour. Today's minimum wage is sixteen seventy five an hour, but the inflation makes that look like it's $8 an hour. We can't tell people how to spend their money. If you spend your money on alcohol and cigarettes and drugs, you're gonna you're gonna end up homeless. Because you're not paying your rent. I remember years ago we watching commercials will come on TV. And, you know, poverty. And and, and you think in, in countries like Canada, the United States, and countries around Europe and stuff like that, in, in a real democracy, in rich countries like this, you'd think we wouldn't have this problem. So when you're watching a commercial, and, and the commercial is about putting food on your table, or keeping the lights on. Nobody should have to make that choice. Putting food on your table or, or, or paying your rent. Nobody should have to make that choice. Right. So this propelled thinking to make the goal of ending homeless a real estate, like I said, we are missing that one thing or how to prevent it in the first place. So people living on a disability, like ODSP or something like that, and they have a place, the individuals can have their rent taken right off the top of their check. And if there's if they if they have to pay hydro and in some incidents you know it's not all inclusive, so if so they have to pay hydro, then they'll take and, and they'll pay your hydro as well. Then you get the remaining money. And you have to eat. Same with people living on welfare. I remember it has, it has to be now. It's got to be at least ten years. You know the the uh, the city of London. You know back then the the uh, the council of you know back then in the city of London. They come up with this program <clears throat> called Workfare in order to get your welfare check. You had to be actively looking for a job. And you had a form that you got and you had to go to X number of businesses. You know, fill out an application. Get that potential employer to sign your form. it never worked to get people off the system that was that's what it was meant to do it was meant to get people off the system and into the workforce it failed miserably Even individuals living in, you know, one bedroom apartments in housing, then you have family units, so families living in housing. <clears throat> you stay there till your kids are 18 years old. They never really did anything about anybody who. You know, if you didn't fill out those forms and stuff like that, never got cut off. And the wait list for affordable housing right now, in housing right now, the wait list is somewhere between six and seven years. For someone to be able to get geared to income housing, six to seven year wait time. The talk about the international evidence reveals the homelessness prevention makes sense from social and economic perspectives. Australia, Wales, England, United States, Canada. Evaluations and prevention in incentives in, uh, in Germany, England. You know, here in Canada, the research on the importance of discharge planning from correctional facilities. hospitals, and shelters. Provides evidence that prevention efforts can and will be successful in the Canadian context. so, So far, it hasn't been. Being discharged from a correctional facility know we hope you learned your lesson you don't want to go back to jail it's hard to find a place to live you're an ex-con or a convict you have a criminal record how are you going to get a job people being discharged from hospitals. And, you know, for the purpose of this study was to identify an effective policies, practices, and resource requirements for discharging homeless or at-risk clients and patients from mental health facilities in the relationship between these facilities and the partnership communities in the service agencies. So they examined four different mental health facilities, two in a rural communities and two in the Metro Vancouver area. And a cross case analyst was conducted in, in, in identifying common best practice used and challenges to, dis, to discharge planning for at-risk homeless clients. Well here we are because I mean the homeless go to the go to the hospital. They don't they generally don't go to walk in clinics. They'll go to the emergency. And after they've been looked at for however long it takes, they're gone. And if they had to stay in the hospital, well, the discharge planning is, is, all right, go back to the shelter. Maybe, Maybe they've been kicked out of the shelter. That happens too because of their behavior. 2015, 2016, I took a community service program at Trios College. I was looking for a change of venue. Didn't want to drive truck anymore. The summer of 2016, I volunteered at a homeless shelter. And you see firsthand the people where they're where they're sleeping, where they're eating. You see the resources in that area that they can go to for help. They have an inner community center downtown so these people can see a doctor. Sounds great, right? Oh, they have a place to sleep. They have something to eat. You don't want to go to a shelter. Ladies and gentlemen. You really don't. I'm not saying they're all bad in there. They're not all bad in there, but it's not a place. There should not be a prolonged housing solution because it's not. And it shouldn't be. You know, it's not, you know, it's it's like I said, it's you know, the youth, are homeless, are veterans, and including whole families, addictions, mental health challenges. Families, when I I talk about families, you know, coming out of an abusive relationship. Now they have to go to a woman's shelter. First they have to get out of that situation. Now remember in abusive relationships, they don't have anything. They've left with whatever they can and what's on their backs. No access to money. Nothing. You know, adapting the public health model You know, homelessness uh, prevention adapts the public health model of prevention, which has been used since the 1940s to reduce the risks and harms associated with illnesses, illnesses. The public health model provides a wide range of preventions and interventions that should take place simultaneously. We've been adopting this public health model since 1940s. How's that working out? You know, primary prevention is that structural level initiatives that apply to everyone. In order to reduce the risk of homelessness and build protective factors from a health perspective, primary preventions include immunization programs or anti-smoking campaigns. The framework breaks down primary prevention further to describe an array of strategies that impact the population at large. When we take a look around, what other countries are doing? How how are they dealing with this? You know, and especially you know, uh, you know, in, in families and those with high needs, such as addiction or mental health challenges, while there continue to be? You know gaps in the knowledge of homelessness prevention and particularly as it relates to the uh, evolution of, of the measuring the outcomes and the evidence is mounting that it's effective and they, and they think it's worth investing in humans people obviously i mean it's worth investing it's costing the taxpayers, something like nine billion annually, is what homelessness is costing. Funded, I mean, these these you know the the, the home the men's mission, the mission services of, of London. You know, this is all all through, you know, uh, government money donations, and and it also that that also uh, Mission Services of London, which also include, includes um, the, the Roth Home, which is also is is a women's shelter and which is also a family shelter. And on top of that, the health care of of what they need is costing a lot of money, this homeless crisis that we're in. You know, and it's, a, it's a, a, a range of prevention and interventions from eviction prevention, support for survivors of intimate partner violence, to landlord mediation, is what we need. Over the course of this pandemic... People who work in non essential businesses, the government shuttered those those doors. People who make minimum wage are living paycheck to paycheck. And and right now, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are who are paying 50% of their wages to rent. It should only be 30% or 25 to 30%. So over the course of this pandemic, when you lose your job and you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck, Took a while for, for the government to get monies out to to the people who needed it. But in the meantime, you still have bills to pay, you still have rent to pay. Premier of Ontario saying, Well, you know, try to work something out with your landlord, you know. Um don't pay your rent. People got so far behind. I mean, what do you what do you expect the landlord to do? They go to the tribunal, to the rental tribunal, and then, then when things start to get processed, you know, for people who well now the landlords are taking them to the rental tribunal to get an eviction, you couldn't attend in person; you had to do it online. Not everybody had a smartphone. Everybody had a laptop and everybody had a computer. So how, how, how were you supposed to attend this rental tribunal? And not only that, you had nobody to represent you. Where are we going to come up with the money? You know, people maybe paid a portion of their rent. Well, you still owe that money. You only paid half, well, you still owe half for every month that you did this. I mean, we're in and out of, of, of shutdowns. You know, the first full two years of, of this pandemic. I was driving home today, and you see this. I know you see this. People who stand in the median holding a sign homeless and hungry, please help. She was a young lady. I'm sitting at the traffic light, I don't, I don't carry change anymore. I don't carry money on me anymore. And I'm sitting at this light and, you know, I'm thinking to myself, wow, she's, she's not that old. She looked like she was in her 20s. And you probably see this where you live too. I'm pretty sure you do. You know, we have I believe that we do have the means. I just can't understand why it took so long for for governments, you know, at the municipal level, provincial level, and federal level to realize that We're in a real crisis with the homelessness. You know, they look at the priority populations. Now, when they talk about priority populations, it's like, you know, Everyone is at risk of homelessness, a job loss, a house fire, a natural disaster, relationship breakdown, all bring them to the risk of losing one's home and becoming homeless. And for most people, structural factors play the biggest role in becoming homeless And then, although personal history and individual characteristics also play a role, your upbringing, where you came from. You know, growing up, gaps between the rich and the poor, the lack of affordable housing, low social assistance, and other income supports. I mean, social assistance wasn't meant to be a permanent thing. It was to help you to get on your feet and finish your grade twelve, and carry on further education, or maybe just go into the work, work, work world and work. These are supposed to be temporary things. These are permanent things. For social assistance, I'm talking welfare, disability is another one. Just disability disabilities for people who who need to ha- who need to be on disability. They can't work physically and mentally challenged that they can't work. The other, um, you know, like other income supports, like, you know, um, low vacancy rates and discrimination, including racism, sexism. Homophobia. The, like, you know, uh, personal history of the individual. Catastrophic events. Physical and mental health issues. Substance abuse. By oneself or family members. A history of physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. We see these young people Kids, teenagers, who are homeless, and they're running away from something, the history of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse. You know, the working poor, the single parent families with children often live in substandard or overcrowded housing. they are on affordable, decent place to live in addition to paying other bills, including food and healthcare, clothing and transportation. And often this group is part of the hidden homeless population. Approximately 50,000 people are considered to be hidden homeless on any any given night in Canada. 50,000 people considered to be the hidden homeless on any given night in Canada. These are the ones you don't see. These are the ones who are couch surfing. These are the ones who are staying with friends and family, other family members. And let's say three quarters of those people, or maybe a little more than half of those people, are working, but they're homeless now. You know, there are many pathways, you know, into and out of homelessness. It is often said that the only commonality amongst people who experience homelessness is that they lack access to safe, secure, and affordable housing. And a valid demographic data is a key factor in developing suitable and relevant programs. This is, you know, what I'm talking about here. I mean, this is just things that, you know, they know. But we have to have the resources. We have to have the services. And we have to have the people to run those services. There are people out there who need the basics one-on-one life skills all over again. To be taught those one-on-one life skills. About taking care of themselves. Hygiene. Being able to Go to the grocery store and understand how much things cost and how much money you have paying your bills. People who are on disabilities or other means of social assistance, there's no money at the end of the day. There's no money at the end of the month. And sometimes it doesn't even last the entire month. In a lot of cases, it does not. They have to resort to the food banks, their churches. We have a long ways to go in a rich country like Canada, the United States, France, England, Germany, Australia, all these rich countries. We need solutions and we need them now. I know they're trying to, I know, you know, I mean, they're working on this, obviously. You know, um, the, like I said, you know, with the hidden... The hidden, the uh, hidden homelessness—approximately fifty thousand on any given night here in Canada—are the hidden homelessness. The Indigenous people, as well, discrimination, the treatment that they've gotten over the decades. The lack of funding to the indigenous communities, drugs and alcohol, physical, mental, and sexual drugs and alcohol. I'm sure you heard me talking about the residential schools here in Canada. That was in the mid-1800s when Surrey MacDonald was the first Prime Minister of Canada. Indigenous people back then known as Indians. Surrey MacDonald called them savages. come up with this program called the residential school systems and 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 what this was was nothing more than you know an asylum a, a place to to take these children from their families and teach them to be a white man and the mental and physical and sexual abuse that they endured they never got education very little They weren't asked to go to residential schools, they were taken. It's shocking that the last residential school closed in 1996, from the mid 1800s to the last residential school closing in 1996, run by the Catholic Church, Run by the Presbyterian Church, the United Church, and other Christian organizations, and the government. We have newcomers coming to Canada all the time. Immigration. We're taking a lot of people in, in, in from uh, the Ukraine. And where are we putting them? We don't have housing because we can't even house our own. We're putting them in motels. Give, giving them. The basic supports. Maybe the people from Ukraine want to stay here. There they, they, you know, we have a, a, a Ukraine community. People coming to North America looking for a better life. They're escaping, you know, their war-torn countries. People from Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, maybe even Russia. coming to all different places all around the world to find a better life. And yet we have a homeless crisis in this country. I understand people need help. I do. I get that. If we can't help ourselves, how can we help others? We'll keep this, this uh, discussion going. Uh, because, I mean, there's so there's so much when it comes, you know, to, you were talking about the priority populations, you know, for families with children, the hidden homelessness, the indigenous peoples, the LGBTQ newcomers, people with disabilities, rationalized communities, the list goes on. But I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Here on the Tuesday, September 6th. All the uh, kids are returning back to school tomorrow. So that means the entire country of Canada, all, all kids back in the classroom. So be safe out there, ladies and gentlemen. Kids are excited to get back to class and see their friends. You know, will be. You know, bust to school, pay attention for the school buses and their red flashing lights and their control arms out. That means you must stop. Slow down in the school zones. Watch out for kids walking to school, kids riding their bikes to school. Just be careful. And we'll talk about more about this um, tomorrow night at uh, eight o'clock. Because there's just so much to cover. I mean, this is a topic that, you know, it's in our everyday news. Not just what's going on around the rest of the world. Our healthcare crisis that we're we're. Looking at right now, all across Canada. So, until then, ladies and gentlemen, have yourselves a great evening and take care, be safe. Thank you for joining me on the Truckers Podcast. FYI. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. Good night, everybody. Take care. And thank you.